Hi, listeners. This is Dr. Karen Liller, and I'm proud to introduce our Activist Lab Advocation Change It Up podcast series on occupational health and safety. Learn from the experts of the Sunshine Education and Research Center of the University of South Florida College of Public Health about their research, advocacy, and work with students to improve work conditions for all. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Advocation Change It Up, a new podcast series hosted by Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the USF College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab. Hello and welcome to Advocation Change It Up, the podcast series of the University of South Florida College of Public Health Activist Lab. I'm Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab. The Activist Lab at the college prepares our students to be exemplary advocates and leaders in public health. And if you just Google us at our website, you'll see all the educational programs we do. We have boot camp, seminars, we do research on a variety of public health topics, and advocacy and work to assure students have practice experiences in the community, at the state, and national levels. This podcast involves talking with public health leaders and advocates whose work has led to great improvements in public health. We'll be talking in each podcast with a guest on a particular public health issue, and we'll end each podcast by asking how we as the community can advocate for change. Today, I'm very excited to continue our occupational health and safety series by talking with leaders in the USF College of Public Health Sunshine Education and Research Center. As we all know, work and work conditions are so important for the population's health. Individuals spend so much time at work, it's critical that they work in safe conditions. Today, I'll be talking with our guest, Dr. Mark Friend. Dr. Friend is a professor and coordinator of the Daytona Beach campus of Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University's Master of Science in Occupational Safety Management. He taught occupational safety at West Virginia University, my alma mater too, and later chaired the Department of Occupational Safety and Health at Murray State. Prior to working at Embry-Riddle, he designed and led the MS in Safety at East Carolina University. During his career, he and another colleague started the National Occupational Safety and Health Educators Association, which later became the academic practice specialty of the American Society of Safety Engineers. Dr. Friend has served on governing boards, and he also was active as the former American Society of Safety Engineers representative to the Accreditation Board for Engineering and Technology, or ABET, when it wrote the outcomes-based criteria, and he led the committee developing the criteria for safety degree programs. He served as the executive director and co-technical lead for the Federal Aviation Administration Center of Excellence at Embry-Riddle. During his career, He also has worked as an active safety consultant, expert witness, and co-author of two safety textbooks. Gosh, that's a great bio. So how are you, Dr. Friend? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. May I call you Mark? Please call me Mark. Okay, great. So, Mark, let's orient the listeners about your leadership at the ERC, how your program, Occupational Safety Management, functions here and at Embry-Riddle, and what does it include? Well, our program is relatively new. We are now in our third year, and it is recognized by the Board of Certified Safety Professionals as a 
BCSP Qualified Academic Program, or QAP. Okay. So students who graduate are eligible, eligible for the Graduate Safety Practitioner, or GSP, designation. Okay. Now, while the GSP is not a certification, it does help graduates start down the path toward CSP without having to take the Associate Safety Professional, or that ASP, examination. Mm-hmm. Our program uh, as the designation uh, implies, Master of Science in Occupational Safety and Management, really emphasizes the management aspects of the occupational safety and health field. Mm-hmm. It consists of 33 semester hours, okay. and nine of our 11 courses are face-to-face in the classroom. Uh-huh. And, of course, our foundations of health and safety courses offered in collaboration with the USF uh, and the ERC during the summer. Uh-huh. And students, when they do their uh, final capstone or thesis, of course, that's pretty much face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So students taking the, uh, the courses on campus really benefit, I think, from, from face-to-face programs, whereas the, the foundations course gives them the opportunity to take an internship or a job away from campus in the summertime, and they can still uh, take another course. So it's really very useful. Mm. Now, students also take courses in various other critical areas. We we get into legislation, fire and disaster, environmental protection, industrial hazards, industrial hygiene, uh-huh. ergonomics and human factors, uh, as well as statistics and research. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they need those before they go on to the capstone mm-hmm. or the thesis. Right. Now, now, one significant advantage we have on our campus is the fact that we fly, we service, we maintain aircraft. Therefore, the students have really good opportunities to interact with operations very similar to those that they would encounter in the field. Mm -hmm. Since our program is so new, we've only had four graduates so far, but all are working full-time professionals in the field of safety and health. Mm -hmm. Uh, Students with master's degrees in occupational safety typically earn in the 100,000 range within a couple of years of, Mm. of graduation. Wow. So the, the salaries are really good. Yes. Really good. And occupational safety is really a great field of study because it allows students to combine their interests and their passion in given areas mm-hmm. with their passion for safety. Mm-hmm. For example, our, our recent grads went to work uh, uh, for an airline, an aviation manufacturing company, a construction company. Those were the things the students were interested in. Right. Well, one one actually graduates and works in safety here at the university. Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, I've also had graduates, you know, at other other schools go to work, for example, with the National Park Service because they oh, okay. really like outdoor work and outdoor yeah. parks. I've had them go to work for OSHA, uh-huh. insurance companies, manufacturers, and others. So, you know, it really is a broad it really is a yeah. broad field that gives students a lot of really good options that that totally align with with what their interests are. Right. So tell me, Mark, what would a typical day be like for someone with this degree? And I realize that that would vary depending upon where they work. But you said it had a management perspective. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Like, are they managers or are they overseeing programs in occupational safety? Sure. The, The responsibility, the primary responsibility of an occupational safety manager is to monitor safety in the workplace mm-hmm. and to advise management on how it should be handled. Mm-hmm. Most organizations these days have an accountable executive in the management hierarchy that is responsible for safety. Mm-hmm. The safety professional reports to that person, mm-hmm. reports what the safety professional has found and advises on changes that need to be made within the organization. Okay. So for example, if I go in 
and see a problem, and I talk to an employee or even a department manager or a mid-level manager, whatever, and I say, hey, this is something that needs to be addressed, and here's how to do it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't work for you. I work <laughs> for that person. Right. So so the safety, the safety professional goes to that person and says, these are the changes that need to be made. And these are the reasons why, and this is what I, this is what I recommend. Okay. That's really what, so during a typical work day, mm-hmm. you know, the, the person would, would monitor what's going on right. by reviewing records, mm-hmm. doing physical inspections, things like that, and would really advise management on, on what should be done okay. to, to make the appropriate changes. And of course, it, it's very, very important for these people to have strong communication skills right, that's what I was gonna and say. the ability to get along yeah. well with and relate well to others. Right. Very important. And I would imagine yeah. also, you know, since we're coming here from the activist lab and advocacy skills too, right? Because they well, would have to advocate for change, right? If they see absolutely. particular issues. Yeah. So it all, absolutely. Yeah, it all would be very, and, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one other thing I want to mention here, a, a friend of mine, we were discussing one day and he said, you know, Mark, he said, he's, he just recently retired. He said, when I was working full time, I was the highest paid safety professional, I believe in the United States. Oh right. my. And I said, I said, why was that? He said, because I could make the case for safety. Yes. He said, I, mm-hmm. I based that case mm-hmm. on business principles and I could make the case to management. Mm-hmm. That's why I earned so much money. Right. So I thought that. So we, we really push on that, too, how to make that case. How to, you know, how to make the case. And right. can students uh, that start out um, in this career, the graduates, um, can they then go on to management positions? I mean, after they work in a while? Absolutely. And, and I've seen that multiple times. Where the, the safety position, as I mentioned, is below the accountable executive. It's kind right. of at the top of the mid-level or the bottom of the top-level management hierarchy. Uh-huh. So when they... You know, when when they do real well and prove themselves, yes, I've had students move up in, and I won't mention the names of the companies, but in major corporations that you've heard of. Okay. And they, they go right up in the management chain, yes. Okay. Absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. Well, I think management yeah. is so important, and those skills are so, so important in, any, in many jobs, right? Not just in occupational safety. But can you tell us a little bit, Mark, about your own research and outreach activities in this area? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, and I'll just talk about what I'm kind of involved in now, and maybe if I get a chance, I'll go back a little bit. Further. Sure. Uh, my research efforts have, have taken a more probably non-traditional research approach. Uh-huh. I've been really active in moving forward with safety management systems. Mm-hmm. And this is an approach to the overall management of the safety program. It's now required in some industries, particularly the transportation industries. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've taught SMS at the PhD level to our aviation students. I also teach uh, SMS uh, aspects to safety personnel that work for the Department of Transportation, and that's through the Federal Transit Administration. Mm-hmm. I uh, made a presentation about SMS to the National Occupational Research Agenda NORA meeting. Okay. Uh, talked about its value, the likelihood that this, I really believe that SMS will become the safety management approach adopted around the globe. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's, I, I'm big on SMS. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm I'm also doing or have done some research relative to a couple of publishing projects. I see you mentioned a couple. Uh-huh. Uh, not only uh, have I uh, written a, a couple of books, but I also uh, uh, 
had a book published where I worked with a PhD student entitled Safety Management Systems, mm-hmm. Applications for the Aviation Industry. Okay. Well, we took a lot of their work, put it together, and, uh, and, and this was the book that was published. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently working on completing the latest editions of, of Fundamentals of Occupational Safety and Health. Okay. It's now in its seventh edition, and the eighth edition should be ready next yes, year. Yes, a very popular. A, yeah, yeah, it is. It yeah, is it's a one of the book. leading texts, right, in the field. So really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now at the same time, here I'm I'm working with the local manufacturing association uh, to get our students involved uh, in local small manufacturing companies. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing is they're actually reviewing and providing advice about the safety program. Okay. And this has really been a beneficial learning experience for the students mm-hmm. and somewhat for me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, as an aside, a couple of years ago, I was appointed by the U.S. Secretary of Labor to serve on the National Advisory Council mm-hmm. on Occupational Safety and Health, NACOSH. Right. And while, while serving on NACOSH, uh, there was really a strong emphasis placed on helping small businesses become aware of OSHA requirements and uh, on making them aware of the guidance provided by OSHA. Oh, okay. So as we work with these small businesses, it, it's amazing to me what I'm learning about what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And in our observations, we've noted that they rarely have any type of systematic approach to safety. Mm-hmm. They notice hazards occasionally, if they do have a comprehensive program, it's typically sitting on a shelf. Right. Employees don't have appropriate training. Mm-hmm. Uh, management really doesn't appear to have any yes. visible commitment to the overall safety. Right. The companies look like they're just accidents waiting to happen. Yeah. They have no clue mm-hmm. as to why mm-hmm. or or how to approach any form of an effective safety program. It's mm-hmm. really hard on it. So this has been a good experience for the students. It's a good experience for me. Yeah. And I really, given the, the movement of, of uh, NIOSH and OSHA in the small business arena, I think that this is yeah. going to have a lot of potential opportunity in, in future research. I do too. Could you explain a little bit? Did you use, did you say the term SMS you were talking about? Um, your yeah, management? safety management system. Okay. Yes. Could you talk a little bit yeah. about that for the listeners? Sure. Oh, absolutely. SMS, let me kind of give you a little background here. When I first came to work at Embry-Riddle in 2003, Mm -hmm. uh, I won't forget walking across campus uh, with this fellow that worked in the aviation industry. And he was saying, you know, we saw safety management systems take off in Europe. It's made its way to Canada. And now it's making its way down through the United States. Right. And what SMS really is, it's it's a philosophy of safety. It's a methodology of safety. Okay. And it really looks at safety from uh, a few different components. Number one, of course, is is safety policy. Mm -hmm. And the second one is safety risk management. Okay. The third one is safety assurance. And the last one is safety promotion. Okay. And the idea is that that companies will integrate these in a step-by-step manner. They'll Mm -hmm. implement them. And when they get these things in place, the, the continuous improvement process never stops. Right. It it never stops. It continues to work and improve as time goes on. Now, what's interesting was a few years ago, mm-hmm. we uh, did a study. We surveyed some of the companies that have implemented SMS, and it really surprised me that they kind of backed off a little bit on the uh, continuous improvement component oh. after they've been in, in place for a few years. Yeah. And really, the, it, there's got to be a strong emphasis on that. And, 
Mm-hmm. We push it pretty hard here. Mm-hmm. But once you get the system in place, you keep looking for ways to improve it. And that's that's what we push on. That That's a big thing. Because a lot of companies, you know, they'll put a pretty good system in place and they say, ah, oh, things are working well. And they kind of walk away from it. A friend of mine who uh, has had a safety consulting business for years talks about the roller coaster effect, you know, where we get better, 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 better. And pretty soon we get up to a place where management looks away. They say, okay, everything's working well. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, then the, the roller coaster begins to go down again. We see problems develop. Right. And when they get to a point where management says, we can't stand this, they put their attention back on it and it goes up again. And it's just that roller coaster effect up and down, up and down, up and down. And they put their attention to it when things aren't going well. But yes, when things are going absolutely. well, they, they tend to look away. Right, yeah. right. And that's how it is yeah. in so many things, right? It only becomes a oh, problem absolutely. when it's yeah. a really bad problem. But what you want to exactly. do, yeah, you want to be more in the preventive framework, right? Or in prevention where you want to prevent, right, problems right. from getting worse. Yes. So that's. Right. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, we really push a proactive approach. Yes. Where students are trying to determine where the problems are before the problems are encountered. Uh-huh. And they try to impact those problems. They try to adjust them before they're, they they mitigate any hazards that, that they anticipate will be created. Mm-hmm. And they mitigate them before uh, any types of new processes, any changes take place. Right. That's, that's really a big emphasis here, yeah. So what would you say, Mark, you would be advocating for in occupational health and safety? Like what would you mostly be advocating for, for our students, for the companies, for the organizations that you work with, and also... How can we as community members help also advocate with you? Well, you know, first of all, we have to have a strong management commitment to safety. Right. Management's got to talk the talk, they've got to walk the talk. Right. They have to be committed to it in terms of uh, creating a strong safety program, normally a written safety program. Mm -hmm. They've got to train their employees on how to carry out the features of this program. And their employees have to also feel that commitment. They need to be involved in it from day one. Right. In other words, as this program is being created, they need to have input on it as well. And they need to feel like they can speak freely without worrying about having any type of retribution because they've spotted a problem and, mm-hmm. and they've mentioned the problem. Yes. They've got to they've got to have a positive feedback loop in place where management says, mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. And we can address that. We want to take care of that. Right. Uh, we may not be able to do it now, maybe not till next week, next month, next year. Mm-hmm. But we do have that feedback in place, that, uh, that, that loop, mm-hmm. that they always know that if they say something, they're going to hear something back. They'll get something in return. Right. And management needs to, to recognize those that are making positive contributions in that way. I mean, I am not a believer in rewarding safe performance, but I am a believer in rewarding activities that lead to safe performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've just seen, I, let me give you an example. In okay. a former position of mine where I worked with a local, uh, where I worked with a hospital mm-hmm. that was tied to the university. Right. We used to work with companies out there and the uh, uh, the doctor that I worked with got a call one day and said, hey, we just had a guy come into the emergency room last night. Uh, what I want you to do is load him up in the ambulance uh, in the morning, bring him to work so he can sign in. I'll send him right back to the hospital. Because he didn't want that guy to miss a day at work because it was going to make him look bad. Right. You see? <laughs> and <laughs> she said, no, not going to do that. But that, that's what happens when you, when you reward that mm-hmm. safe performance. A lot of times instead of getting the safe performance that you're looking for, 
you get a, a record of state performance, which mm-hmm. may or may, may not be accurate. So what you need to do is reward those activities that really lead to safe performance. Right. Yes, we've had safety meetings. You know, yes, we've done all the things we need to do. We've gone, put the employees through the appropriate training. Uh-huh. We've modified the training to suit any new circumstances, things like that. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we want to give people pats on the back for. Right. And that's, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that, in those intangible rewards too. Yes. Not giving them a check or anything like that, but saying, Job well done. Job well done. I, I appreciate mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's very important. Appreciation is You know, is I've got so one important. example, if I can share with you. Sure. Uh, yeah, one, one of my former students, and this was when I was was up north, but one of my students was telling me where he had gone to work one morning. Uh-huh. He was a, a, a coal mine supervisor. He okay. worked in the coal mine. Uh-huh. And he said, the guy next to him said, I bet you my guys can put out more coal <laughs> than your guys today. Okay. He said, okay, you're wrong. He said they were both in, in this community group and they were selling these little jars of jelly to raise money. Mm-hmm. He said, what's the bet? And he said, I bet you a case of jelly. Okay, you're wrong. <laughs> so he said, he said, my guys won that contest. And he said, you know, a year later, one of the guys working for me came up to me and he said, you know those jars of jelly you gave us last year? And he said, yeah. He said, I've got one on my mantle and every time I look at that, it makes me smile. <laughs> and yeah, that's that intangible reward. That's right. That's you right. Mm-hmm. You give the guy a, a mm-hmm. gift certificate for dinner, he mm-hmm. uses it and it's gone. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. that, that pat on the back and that recognition, people remember that and they treasure it. So it and sounds that's what like, I really. Yeah, that's what you're advocating for, you know, that continual uh, improvement. Right. And also Absolutely. recognition for that improvement. Mm-hmm. And I think I think also validating safety, right, validating the importance of safety and um, advocating well, for it within these organizations. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's a return on investment. Oh, and we see yes. that, that the money invested in safety and health provides a positive return. And, right. you know, the old saying, the business of business is business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you heard well, that? Milton I've heard it a that. lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And what I tell my students, the business of safety is business. Right. If we, if we can make a business case, mm-hmm. then we'll get what we're looking for. Right. Exactly. We'll get what we're looking it's just for. as important yeah. as making those widgets, right? The safety of all yes. of it is just as important. Well, I see that Absolutely. we're I see we're joined by our student now, uh, Sanai Anderson. Sanai is a member of the uh, Activist Lab Student Advisory Board, and I'm going to ask Sanai a few questions now about what are the feelings of students on this topic of occupational health and safety, and Sanai also on management and how important it is that we have people in these organizations that care about safety and management. You know, work will become very important to this generation. Uh, Young individuals have been the drivers of much public health advocacy and change recently, whether it be racism, gun violence, and other topics. But Sanai, talk to us a little bit about um, what students might think about the workplaces and how can students be instrumental and critical to advocacy? So, yeah, of course. Um, I think in my generation, we really are passionate about ensuring that we are safe and as well as leaving a legacy for future generations. So I think... um, First things first, being educated on the topic of occupational safety management is super important in order to like express that to others as well as before you um, teach it to others. And in addition, um, one thing I think that we could really do that 
can really make a difference in spreading the awareness of occupational safety management is um, one thing that's really popular is petitions. We like there's mm, online petitions you. that we make and they're really quick, really easy to get out and easy to like fill out. They take like less than a minute. And my generation just thinks those are very effective and spreading the word. And one thing that students could do would be um, maybe sending those positions to higher ups mm -hmm. and ensuring that like, you know, we really care about occupational safety management and, you know, maybe um, making a petition um, ensuring that occupational safety management courses are being taught to um, classes or maybe right. they're being right. learned to be practiced. Mm -hmm. So I think those are really effective methods that my generation really, really um, calls to, especially like social media and on the internet. We have yes. so much in our hands and I'm, uh -huh. I think I'm lucky to be born in this time. So, um, you know, just making sure that we are able to like connect with others through such platforms really makes a difference and I think yeah. those are ways that we can um, express our concerns and ensure that um, occupational safety management is being practiced properly. Very, very good. So, uh, so Mark, yeah, it's so important for this generation, you know, the whole idea of safety and making sure and the petition uh, that Sanai mentioned is, is also very interesting. Why it's, it's how, in fact, in some administrative agencies, things get done. There's first a uh, positioning uh, paper put out or some type of petition and um, things move after that happens. Um, so let's ask Absolutely. Dr. Friend, yeah, about that. What do you think about uh, this? And also, I, after you answer that, Mark, I also was very curious about how you might think we get the word out to students more so that you have a greater number of students in these programs. And um, they may not become occupational safety managers, but they may add it as an elective or somewhere in their program. Right. Well, a couple of things I've I've done in the past. Now, this COVID thing has changed yes. circumstances a little bit. Uh -huh. But uh, I have uh, attended uh, typically the Professional Development Conference of the American Society of Safety Engineers and also the National Safety Congress. Had a booth there. Mm -hmm. And I promoted our program in the booth. Right. Normally, people that attend that would be parents of potential students. Right. But it's just, it's been amazing over the years, you know, in different programs, how many students we've attracted that way. Mm -hmm. that, that's, mm -hmm. that's been a big deal. Mm -hmm. The second thing is I maintain a list of, of uh, universities around the country. I shouldn't say, you know, colleges around the country that have undergraduate programs that I think students would probably, that might generate an interest among students toward our master's degree program. Okay. But they really don't have an option for those students where they are. So I send information to uh, the faculty in those programs and ask them if they will get the word out to their students there. Mm -hmm. And I've mm -hmm. had some positive response that way as well. Okay. Those are a couple of things. Of course, here on campus, uh, we, we push it regularly. Right. Uh, for example, last week we had an information session mm -hmm. for students that would have an interest. And they just they come in and, and I explain the program to them talk about its advantages and, and how they can benefit from it. But mm -hmm. those are just some of the initiatives that we take here, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think if people knew about it more, right, and that's why I'm so glad we're doing this podcast, because I think a lot oh, of absolutely. the programs, you know, not just your program, but a lot of the programs in the ERC, you know, if people knew more about them, and, and it's just so important to be safe at work. Um, I wanted oh, to, absolutely. you know, because if you're not safe at work, I mean, and that happens, I mean, how that, it, you know, it may create a situation where it causes a lot of stress. And, and goodness, if you if you don't have safety at work, where are you going to have it? You know, you have to be really? safe there. <laughs> well, you know, and the other thing is, 
a lot of these young people want to help other people. They want to right. make a difference. That's right. And this is really a field that allows mm-hmm. them to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about uh, medical professionals. You talk yes. about police officers. Mm-hmm. You talk about people that, that make a difference now. Right. And, and you see that and you know it. But this is the same thing. Yes. You know, you can really make a difference in the safety yes. and the health of people out there working. And, you know, there have been situations where people just don't come home from work. I know. You know? I know. Because they, they it just didn't let. Now, let me give you another example. Uh, one of my uh, former students uh, is now uh, working uh, for the Department of Labor. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to get speak to my class uh, next week. Okay. Uh, virtually, of course. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, you know, he has made a difference in the industry where he's working. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. I've watched him. And I, I've observed what a difference he's made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've seen people die in the same industry where he's where he is mm-hmm. with, with incidents or accidents that have caused the death of dozens of people at a time. Mm-hmm. So, He's making a big difference, and that's what I think all of our students can do. Yes, absolutely. I, I totally, yeah. totally agree with you. You know, I, I did want to ask you something about OSHA for a minute. You know, there's a lot of controversy sure. now about OSHA and the mandating of the COVID-19 uh, <laughs> vaccines. And right. uh, I'm sure the listeners might be curious about that because um, you've heard some politicians saying that will never happen, that OSHA doesn't have enough employees to ever do that. You hear other people, other politicians saying, yes, we can do it. You know, if we want that to be the agency that's going to take <laughs> care of this. So I was so excited to talk to you today because you are a professional in the field. What is your what are your feelings about OSHA's oh, role <laughs> with this vaccine please mandate? Me. Please forgive me as I give you one more example. No, no. Uh, uh, I love examples. Uh, a, former, <laughs> a former friend of mine, Jim Oppold. Uh-huh who was in charge of, of the OSHA program in the state of North Carolina mm-hmm. during a, a period of time when we had the Hamlet chicken plant disaster. Yes. And I don't know if you recall that, but dozens of people were killed. Yes, I do. When that plant caught fire and exploded. Mm-hmm. Like I say, Jim was in charge of OSHA then, mm-hmm. and they let him go. They held him responsible for that. Oh. And I, I knew Jim very well. He said to me, I went to the legislature multiple times and I asked for money to hire more compliance officers because we just could not get out and inspect all the businesses. There aren't not enough compliance officers yeah, to do that's that. What I thought. There weren't then. I don't believe there are now. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, there are just too many businesses that will be in, impacted by this. Right. And I, I don't think unless there's a lot more money poured into OSHA mm-hmm. to hire those additional compliance officers. I just mm-hmm. do not see mm-hmm. how this can possibly mm-hmm. be done effectively. We, we, we just don't have, the, I mean, OSHA doesn't have the manpower to get out there and right. do the inspections like that. But do, and, you, but do you think if yeah. it, if, even if they're not sending inspectors out to make sure that this is being done, do you think just the threat of saying this is now mandated, you know, if you it, have a hundred, yeah. It might, you know, and there, there is that threat effect with OSHA that all the time that exists. And if enough people complain in any given company, right. OSHA will come out there. You know, they right. will. Right, right. If, if they perceive it's a real problem. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think in the in the uh, areas where we see a serious problem like that, then obviously, yeah, they could come out. But yeah. I think OSHA is short on, on compliance officers. I really do. I do too. And I think, I think you're right. We would need much more money poured into the agency before they could do that. Yes. And they would have to be a pretty detailed strategic plan as to how they were going to actually do that. So Sanai, do you have Absolutely. any, any questions for Dr. Fred? Oh yes. So when learning about occupational safety management, um, before people are educated on the subject, have there ever been like instances or, you know, type of circumstances where, um, there have been like, um, you know, just bad, like, management or, like, bad practices of it, like, before people were educated, like, improper practices before learning about it? Well, I, I'll give you one very common example, one very mm-hmm. common practice. You know, when employees go to work in companies that deal with hazardous materials, right? Mm-hmm. they're supposed to be trained on their interaction with those hazardous, hazardous materials, how to use them, how to protect themselves from them, mm-hmm. how to respond in the event of an accidental exposure, what they should do next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They need to be taught about the safety data sheets that are provided by the company. And, well, the company has to maintain those safety data sheets. But I see examples where they don't have current material, they don't train their employees, yeah. they mm-hmm. don't give them the information that they need to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a good example? Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> I think that's a really good example. And we hear, and and Mark, could you uh, just talk to us uh, for a few minutes about some examples that you can show where poor safety management led to disaster in an organization or an industry? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, back to that handle chicken plant. Yes, and I was glad you were going to circle back to that. Yeah, well, let me me go back a little further. You know, the the Triangle Shirtwaist factory fire, which happened in the early part of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a number of doors which were locked mm-hmm. uh, on, on a, a relatively high floor. Employees were locked in there. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get out when this fire started. Right. And even though the, the building was so-called fireproof because it was brick, concrete block type construction, mm-hmm. uh, they had a, they had fabric in there that they were working with. The fabric caught on fire. Employees just couldn't escape. Yes. Those that were able to make it to a fire escape, uh, the fire escape collapsed and many of them jumped out of the building. Mm. Uh, it, it was just awful. Right. And uh, they they had the doors locked and place couldn't get out. Then we move on to the Hamlet chicken plant disaster and we right. see a lot of the same things happening there. You know, and it, it's, what, 60 years later or so. Right. And uh, right. 50 or 60 years later. I mean, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. And here was mm-hmm. a situation where they had locked the doors and place were caught in there. Uh, oh, the fire goodness. caught and uh, people were trapped. Uh, they were inhaling smoke and dying. It was just a big mess. Mm-hmm. They hadn't learned the lesson, and and history repeated itself there. Right. And as a result, of that like I say, dozens of people died. So sad, and so many people died. Yeah, and I I, I think it was like thirty seven people were killed, something like that. The the chicken plant uh, closed down. Uh, it led to pretty much total unemployment in a little town. Hamlet, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a big mess. Now that that was why I wound up going to North Carolina. It was in response to that disaster that East I Carolina see. started their master in occupational safety, man, or their masters in occupational safety there at East Carolina University. Right. So I, I went there to start that program as a result, primarily of that Hamlet chicken type disaster. You know, recently we've seen the entertainment industry also has had its share of problems oh, yeah. when it's come to safety. Uh, one, the recent killing, right, um, on sure. the set 
uh, of a particular movie uh, being produced uh, where a gun uh, was on the set, but it actually ended up having live bullets in it. Um, And I guess no one thought there were live bullets in it. But to me, they started talking about the safety issues that were violated. And um, yeah. and then we have the concert that just happened over the weekend, right, yeah. in, in Texas, where in you Houston. had, yes, in Houston, where you had um, children at that concert. And I think the youngest death um, of the individual is 14 years old right now. So even that industry, right, do you have any information on the entertainment industry and their safety principles and whether or not they use them or not? You know, that is not something that, that I'm current with, but mm-hmm. from what I understand and, and what I've heard is that they don't have a strong uh, set of guidance principles in place. Right. Uh, that's just from what I pick up on the news. Mm-hmm. And even when they do have those in place, they're not strongly enforced, yes. apparently. Yes, right. So, uh, you know, you, you have to have a plan, mm-hmm. and you have to enforce them. Plan. Yes. Management has to be committed to it and has to be committed. And, and, and that commitment is required all the way throughout the organization. Right. And that's obviously not something that's happening there. No. Obviously not happening there. No. So I, I would. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't understand in the concert example, though, how there weren't barricades there, you know, that might have really? not allowed um, individuals to rush the stage pretty much or to get to the stage. So, well, yeah. Um, yeah. I was very curious about how that was allowed to be. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know the specifics there, but mm-hmm. uh, that was certainly an unfortunate and unnecessary situation mm-hmm. that occurred there, absolutely. Yes, and it brings home the point of occupational safety management, right? It brings home the point again yes. that, like you said, we need a plan, we need that plan to be followed and continuous improvement of the plan. Absolutely. Yes, and management you know, is so important. I've been involved in, in court cases mm-hmm. where management just messed up. Right. And, of course, the, the attorney you know, will call me up on the stand to testify that. Mm-hmm. You know, what should they have done? And, you know, obviously there were things that could have been put in place. And sometimes they were put in place, but they just were not enforced. Yes. And as a result of that, we have fatality in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And ultimately the company is held responsible. That's the way it typically works. Right. Right. Yeah. Sanai, do you have any more questions or comments? Yes. So um, following up on the last question, I asked about examples regarding um, improper practices of Mm -hmm. um, um, safety management. Um, Have there been like the like are there examples of effective ones that have really been um, that have increased um, safety management in industries like, you know, entertainment industries? Are there any examples that have proven to be really, really effective in increasing safety for individuals? Well, I think what we've seen are certain companies mm-hmm. in certain industries that have done a fantastic job right. of safety. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't want to brag here, but you know, the, mm-hmm. I believe, for example, the avi- aviation yes. industry, mm-hmm. they, they provide a great example. And this whole uh, safety management system movement has just been unbelievable the way it's worked to improve uh, things in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Not only that, of course, we've also seen tremendous improvements in technology over the years. Uh, something, I won't say as simple as, but something like going from uh, propeller 
driven airplanes to jet driven airplanes. Yes. What a difference that's made. Uh-huh. And the training and so on that, that has, has made such a difference. I had dinner, you're probably not aware of this person, with Al Haynes, who landed an aircraft in Sioux City, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And what had happened when he was flying the aircraft, there was an explosion back inside the plane. And the only controls that he was left with, he and the crew, were the throttles. Nothing else oh. worked but the throttles, the controls in the plane. So he had to land that plane only with the throttles. Oh and what was really interesting to me was that he said, you know, I, I brought the crew together, and he said we had a, somebody flying back in the cabin from point A to point B. I brought them up as well, mm-hmm. a crew member from another plane. Mm-hmm. And he said what we did was we went through the standard operating procedures right. that we had, mm-hmm. the SOPs. Mm-hmm. We followed those down until we got to the end. It wasn't until we got to the end that we began making decisions as to what to do next. But we had been trained yes. on those procedures. We knew what to do. Right. And he said, ironically, ironically, there in Sioux City, just very recently, I think he told me the week before, they had practiced, uh, they had rehearsed an accident of a plane just like the one he was flying. What would oh. happen if we had this plane crash? Oh. And he said that... Uh, that and these SOPs uh-huh. and people coming together, he said it made such a difference. Now, people did die in that crash, but a number of people were safe. In fact, I mean, he was hailed as a hero simply because there was anybody saved in that plane because mm-hmm. they all should have died. But, mm-hmm. but he followed the procedures and he made it happen. Wow. And uh, it yep. worked extremely well for him. Yes. So it's the following of the procedures, you know, once again, yeah. going back to the management, the SOPs, the SOPs, you know, going back and making sure that, and everybody knows them as well, right? I think that's something yes. else. Yeah, you know, management yes, might know well them. Trained. Yeah, everybody's mm-hmm. got to be well trained on those. And that's, that's what makes it work. And, Absolutely. you know, when you see, when you go back and you look at, at some of the conclusions from these aircraft accidents, and you'll see... Right. Somebody didn't do what they knew yeah. to do, supposedly. Mm-hmm. They had been trained, but mm-hmm. for some reason they didn't follow the procedures. But, uh, yeah, I think the aviation has just done an amazing job. Oh, absolutely. Uh, at every level, getting it well done. What do they say? Absolutely. Much safer to fly these days, right, than to drive an automobile. So Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So there you well, go. Well, to give you an example of that, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they talked about mandating uh, uh seats, these child safety seats, yes, these little ones, yes. you know, under certain, but they, they learned that people didn't want to pay for that extra seat. I know. So they said, well, rather than fly there, I'll drive there. And it put those little ones at greater risk. Much greater Even though risk. It, yeah. Much greater risk. Held in their parents' arms, you know, they were oh. much safer than they would be in a child safety oh. seat in a car. It just so, makes uh, me crazy, Mark. You know, I'm an injury yeah. prevention a scientist, and I've worked with children and adolescent injuries all of my career, and I just don't understand that. Child safety seats and and, and safety belts, they're one of the greatest innovations, you know, that has yes. been done in public health, and they just yes. need to be used. Like you say, your safety procedures have to be followed. Well, people hmm. have to follow, you know, what we know has proven to be so important. So, Absolutely. Um, yes, Absolutely. I agree. Well, it has been and such these, a... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No. I was going to say, these young people can make such a difference, the people coming up today. You yeah. know, I'll be long gone. They'll be in the middle of it, <laughs> and they can make a big, big difference. Yes. Yes. Okay. Sanai and, and her group and all of these young students, absolutely, like I said, and they've become so much more active now in advocacy. Yes. And that's why I'm so yes. glad that we have the Activist Lab and students can learn all about advocacy and leadership that they can use throughout their lives. 
it's fantastic. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mark. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. I think I could talk with you all day, but you know oh, we, have to, <laughs> we have to we have to stop the podcast at some point. But uh, on behalf of the USF College of Public Health Activist Lab, our wonderful guest, Dr. Mark Friend, our student co-hosts, and I, we thank you for joining us. And hey, keep listening. We have more podcasts coming soon. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know how we did by emailing us at cophactivistlab at usf.edu. So until next time, hey, this is Dr. Karen Liller. Remember, find your voice. Let's change it up for the better. Keep listening and join Advocation Change It Up. Tell your friends and family. We're on all media, Apple, Spotify, and more. So thank you again. And hey, as it gets safer to be out and about, come see us in the Activist Lab.